0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Allen back to throw again. Throws
1: one over the middle. It's tipped. And it's intercepted. CJ got it.
0: Welcome back to the, the Cooler Jets Podcast. I'm your host Ben Blessington with Michael Nania. Day three of the NFL Draft has wrapped up, and so Michael and I can sit back and and look at Joe Douglas's first draft as general manager of the New York Jets. Uh, really excited about this one. It you know coming from from watching drafts of, of Mike Tannenbaum and John Idzik uh, and Mike McCagnan. Uh, It seems like Douglas is a welcome change. You know, obviously this early analysis doesn't mean much because we haven't seen him on the field. So you don't really know how draft class will pan out until about three years from now. But um, you can kind of get a sense in the positions he targeted, the value he got, uh, the the type of guys he drafted, uh, the scouting reports on them. Uh, and so far, the early returns are are fairly high on Joe Douglas's uh, first draft. So we're we're really excited to break it down. Um, uh, you can follow this podcast at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W Blessington. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and also at JetsXFactor.com, uh, which in my opinion is is the best place to go right now for Jets uh, for Jets content. A lot of work has gone into that site. Uh, and I'm just really happy that our, our our podcast gets to be a part of it. So just make sure you check that out, JetsXFactor.com. But Michael, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Joe Douglas's first draft as a member of the New York Jets?
1: Yeah, I think, as you said, uh, the main thing to remember whenever you're doing instant draft analysis is that this means nothing what we're saying right now. Uh, we're not going to be able to properly evaluate any of these players as individuals or this class as a whole until, you know, many years down the line, until all of these players' entire Jets careers are over. And that could take three years, four years, You know, hopefully not three years. It'd be pretty bad, but it'll take a long time until uh, you could actually gauge the effectiveness of this class. And ultimately, you know, from uh, the, the standpoint of the general manager and how good of a job they did, it comes down to whether or not you hit on the picks. But in the present, I think you can still do. Uh, I think you can still effectively evaluate the approach, just the overall, uh, just the way they go about things, the decisions they make uh, and evaluate them in terms terms of that because even though it comes down to the productivity eventually you can still look at uh, just the overall way that they went about things and I think that's what's most impressive about Douglas right now while we won't know for a while uh, how these players turn out I think right now you can look at what he did throughout all three days of this draft he showed a very good understanding of the board in the first round didn't trade up without need. uh, not he did not have to trade up in the first round so he didn't do it he stayed there had his pick between two tackles and took the guy that he preferred. Then the second round, we were all screaming for Mims at 48. He trades down, gets a third-round pick, still gets Mims at 59. Uh, And then here on day three as well, made a few good trades, is able to swing the sixth-rounder for Quincy Wilson. And also the same thing happened with Bryce Hall. I was looking at Bryce Hall at the top of the fourth round. A lot of Jets fans were looking at that as well. Uh, And then Hall slips all the way to the fifth round. So Douglas showed a really strong understanding of the board. He balanced need and talent really well. Uh, A very good mix of, you know, filling needs, uh, addressing holes, but at the same time not reaching to do it. And that's what I think he did a really good job of. You can come out of this draft feeling really good about what the Jets did at a lot of key positions of need, offensive line, receiver, uh, the the defensive backfield, cornerback, and safety with. Uh, Ashton Davis and also at Ed rusher they address a lot even punter backup quarterback they address a lot of needs and for the most part uh, at least in terms of you know the consensus in terms of the, the value and ranking of all these prospects he did a really good job of addressing those needs without reaching uh, and still getting good talent while at the same time getting talent that fills their needs so uh, the his approach and just throughout this whole offseason you go back to free agency yes we don't necessarily a lot of us didn't necessarily agree with some of the decisions he made in terms of you know the players you know whether it was letting Robbie Anderson go, not signing Jack Conklin or Graham Glasgow, things like that. At the end of the day, the goal was to help out Sam Darnold, build this offensive line, get him some supplementation, and that's what Joe Douglas has done. He's built the pipeline on the offensive line, helped out a receiver, uh, he's attacked cornerback and edge. He, he's approached this offseason the right way. He's a clear understanding of not only what the needs of this roster are but the best way to effectively go about building them not just you know going straight after these positions without just because their needs uh, and you know whether it's overpaying for a free agent or reaching on talent in the draft he hasn't done those things he clearly understands what the needs are but at the same time he's doing it in an efficient smart uh, prudent way throughout this whole offseason so his approach has been great and i think that's the best takeaway right now
0: Yeah, no doubt. So let's go ahead and break down these picks uh, on day three. We'll go through and talk about them individually. Let's start with the first pick in the fourth round for the Jets at 120. They took LaMichael P. Ryan running back from Florida. Now, Michael, I know you didn't necessarily love this pick. Um, I thought maybe they could go with, uh, Anthony McFarlane if they were going to take a running back in the fourth, but you know, and look, I don't know this guy, so I don't want to say he has character concerns, but, uh, some people were talking about that. Maybe it, that was the reason he, uh, Douglas passed on him. Douglas took uh, something like five team captains in a row. So clearly that was important to him. So with P Ryan, uh, what don't you like about him? What do you like? How do you see him fitting into Gase's offense? And, and if there is a running back, you would have taken over him. What, what just, just your overall thoughts on the selection.
1: Yeah, well, I think both, you know, when we did our mock draft and, you know, all the other mock drafts we did that, you know, even weren't recorded when I was doing personally, most of the time, I think we were targeting running back later in the draft, the fifth round, the sixth round. So it was a little early, but uh, I think what is important about uh, the approach they took with both these first two picks, we'll obviously talk about uh, the quarterback that they took, James Morgan, uh, with the second pick. But uh, I think what's important is that they had three fourth round picks and they had Those those three picks came before any other team had their second pick in the fourth round. They're very early on. So they had a little bit of wiggle room to make moves like this to kind of take shots uh, on guys that, you know, they wouldn't probably take in this round. uh, If they you know, if they only had one pick, they might have been more uh, putting more of a premium on needs. But uh, having those extra picks kind of gave them some extra room to, you know, go running back and quarterback a little higher than we probably preferred or they probably would have if they couldn't have gotten those extra picks so in terms of taking running back here uh, i don't think it was too early because they had that luxury but uh, i think Pirine is not necessarily the type of talent that you know i was kind of preferring for them because i would i wanted them to take a you know a home run threat a guy who could spell avion bell and because as great as bell is the one thing he doesn't provide is uh you know home run ability he's a very he does not have that breakaway speed doesn't uh, have too many 20 plus yard runs actually had none of them for the jets this past season uh so i think that's what they re- that's what i want to see them look at a home run threat and p Ryan really isn't that only 450 uh 462 in the 40s so doesn't really have that breakaway speed uh, and in terms of his broken tackle numbers they're not very good pretty well below average in terms of broken tackles per carry all those yards after contact is really good so what the the fact that his missed tackle numbers are low, but his yards after contact is high, probably tells you that uh, he does have a little bit of that home run ability. And that uh, when he does break a tackle, he's getting a lot of yards after contact uh, in those situations, even if it is rare. But uh, I think with P. Ryan and you, uh, most of the scouting reports you look at with him are that he's you know pretty balanced all around. Doesn't have any uh, special traits like those. Uh, that one trait that pops out, whether it's speed. Uh, short area, quickness, vision, patience, things like that. Doesn't really have that one trait, but is pretty balanced all around. So uh, I think uh, with him, I, that they really like him, and also he is pretty good as a receiver. He had five receiving touchdowns this past season, 41 receptions. So uh, I do think with him that they are looking at uh, the potential of replacing Le'Veon Bell next year if he does uh, not stay stay with the team in 2021, which seems pretty likely. Uh, that P. Ryan does have the kind of all around skill set, the receiving ability to be kind of a Bell 2.0, kind of replace his skill set rather than be a compliment as a backup. So I think right. that's what they're looking at here. Instead of, uh, you know, a compliment to Bell, I think they're looking at someone who could replace him going forward.
0: Right. And, you know, I, I do think it's it's beneficial for a guy like P. Ryan to sit behind Le'Veon Bell and learn, but he will certainly be hitting the field a lot with them. Uh, yeah, Maybe his skill set doesn't necessarily provide that, you know, uh, Ice and, and fire or whatever, fire and ice or water, whatever. The, the their skill sets don't necessarily thunder and lightning. How about that? Thunder and lightning. Uh, I, the, I agree yin with Yang. Yang and Yang. Thank you. Thank you for helping me out there with the lifeline. Um, but I do think they will um, certainly be uh, interchanging on on downs. We saw that last year with with Blau Powell and Le'Veon Bell. How uh, Gase would sometimes take Bell out for a whole drive and give Powell a whole drive. So I think you'll see that with P Ryan. I think this was definitely a Gase pick. Um, or at the very least a Douglas pick that had heavy input on Gase and what he wants in his running backs. Um, Gase seemed pretty fired up after the pick about taking him. And I think you're right. I think the goal in mind is that he's going to be your starting running back in 2021. If not, I think, you know, and even if he is, I think they'll still probably draft another running back in that class. But uh, you know, we've seen a lot of success on day three with some running backs. I think that is a position where you have seen teams hit late uh, at a higher rate. Maybe you can comment on that, Michael, but uh I don't know. I, I like P Piran. I agree with you that I thought they were going to go more, with more of a burner, more of a home run hitter maybe they, maybe they like Trenton Cannon. He does have the speed, that's for sure. But um, outside of that, I, I think P. Ryan, I agree with you, is, is more of a, uh, more similar to Bell than we thought they would go with, but obviously has some more distinguishing traits uh, that, that might complement Adam Gase's offense more. The fact that he hits the hole uh, a little bit quicker than Bell does. And uh, uh, he was a three-year starter. He was a team captain. He does kind of fit Joe Douglas's mold. Uh, and it's, it's not like he's, uh, you know, a bell cow uh, plotting uh, power running back. He does have some speed. Uh, I think the clip that was going around jets Twitter that would, that got me a little excited was him dragging Jamal Adams in college for about 15 yards. That, that did get me uh, a little perked up. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, look, these guys spend all year uh, scouting and they clearly knew they were going to take a running back and they had essentially the pick of the litter in the fourth round. Um, obviously the top tier guys were gone, but a lot of those day uh, round four running backs were still on the board. And this is the guy that they clearly wanted Um so uh, Joe Douglas, new, new regime with a, a really competent front office from, from uh top tier organizations. He's are the benefit of the doubt in my mind. I'll trust him on this Piron uh, pick, but yeah, I agree with you, Michael. I thought if they're going to go running back, they should have gone more at the home run hitter, but, uh, certainly all the Florida fans that are also jets fans were, were t- uh, commenting on our Twitter, talking about how much they love Piron. So, so we'll see, uh, the next, uh, pick at 125 probably got the most scrutiny James Morgan quarterback from FIU. Now, Michael, we did mention him yesterday in the podcast, and we did mention that we thought the Jets would take a quarterback, at least I did, thought the Jets would take a quarterback uh, on day three. They had six picks. They've done a lot of uh, investigating uh, on the draft, according uh, to Manish Mehta, on the draft quarterbacks on those day three guys. And, and James Morgan was a guy uh, that I did see Manish Meta talk about um, uh, quite often. Um, so what are your thoughts on this pick? Because obviously I, I think people thought in the fourth round, maybe you could go with receiver. You could go with another corner at that time. They didn't have Bryce Hall or Cameron Clark uh, on the offensive line. There just seemed to be other needs and they went with the quarterback. Kind of what are your thoughts on the pick?
1: So I was definitely taken aback by it at first. And uh, I do think, you know, backup quarterback is important. This is the most important position in the sport. And so like we've seen with this team the past two years, uh, if your starter gets hurt, you got to have someone who can back him up and keep things running. The Jets have not had that. They've been completely embarrassing in the games where Darnold has been out. 0 oh, and 3, both uh, of each of the past two seasons when he went out, they averaged about eight points a game on offense in those games. So that can't happen anymore. Uh, and obviously, ideally, Darnold uh, can start to be a little more consistent with his durability. And you know, obviously, what happened this past season was you know kind of fluky with the mono, but. Uh, it's not like he's been incredibly injury prone, but hopefully he can be more durable. But, you know, as we say here right now, he's missed three games in each two seasons, So it is important to have a little bit of security. Uh, and David fails is not exactly the most inspiring backup in the league. If we're putting it nicely. Uh, we for putting realistically, he's one of the worst. So uh, adding, so- really upgrading that backup position is important. They didn't make a move with the veteran. So I think that, Uh, You know, we don't know if they went after one of those veterans or if they really did want to do this in the draft. But uh, I think there's something to be said for having uh, a young backup who, you know, even worse comes to worst. uh, Darnold doesn't pan out. Hopefully it doesn't happen. I highly doubt it will. I think he's going to be great. But to have someone who could eventually spell him, to have someone who could, uh, you know, attract a trade like a Jimmy Garoppolo style uh, like the Patriots did. There are a lot of advantages to having your own backup quarterback that you drafted. And develop so you know and you know in the event of a trade obviously hopefully if you do trade him it's something better than where you picked him so in this case a third rounder or second rounder but uh, there are a lot of advantages to this and in terms of taking him in the fourth round definitely for me personally I would have gone with probably Tyler Johnson there or another receiver Uh, they still could have made another move at edge or offensive line even though they did uh, get Cameron Clark later but uh, there are definitely some different ways I would have gone but at the same time There's a lot of sense to this taking quarterback this point, especially here in the fourth round. If you look at the historical production of quarterbacks throughout each point of the draft and forget Tom Brady, but looking at the last 10 years in the final three rounds of the draft, five, six, and seven quarterbacks have done absolutely nothing. There's been very little to speak of from that point, but in the fourth round, there's a little bit more success to speak of Kirk cousins and Dak Prescott come to mind first, but just overall, uh, it's a much better group. There's a huge drop off after that fourth round. So in this fourth round, you could still get some talent. And as I think that you know, I, I think you mentioned it earlier. It might have been uh, why before we said this, but you know, Buffalo might have been a team that was looking at him. They put, uh took Jake from later on. They had uh, they were picking in between the Jets pick at 125 and 129. So he could have been going to the uh, to the Bills there. Uh, so I think that at this point it is definitely the right. If you're going to take a late quarterback, this is where you want to do it because the talent drop off from that, uh, from round four to the rest of the draft is really steep, uh, based on what we've seen historically. So, and all that makes sense. It, uh, backup quarterbacks in need, there are advantages to taking a young one, uh, and Sam Darnold, obviously with his, you know, minor struggles with durability, it's valuable to have some security, but the player is probably is where I have uh, a question and I'm not going to act like I knew too much about him or much of anything about him before the pick. Uh, Most of it has been most that I know right now is all been has all been researched since they selected him. But uh, I feel like if you're going to take a backup quarterback that, you know, you're hoping you can develop into a guy who can be that backup uh, for years to come. I feel like Jake Fromm is really the guy who fits that bill. He doesn't have the upside in terms of anything, physical athleticism, arm strength, things like that. But, he really seems like the guy who you can take and, you know, mentally has it, accuracy-wise has it, leadership, has all those traits, has, you know, started in the SEC, uh, has a much higher floor, even though he has very, very little upside. Uh, he has the floor that you could, you know, should really be looking for if you're trying to find a backup quarterback. So I think if, I do think that From might have made more sense. Uh, Morgan definitely seems like he is a very toolsy upside-based prospect. Uh, and, you know, to his uh, to kind of be fair, he was battling a knee injury uh, throughout most of this past season. His production and his performance was way better in 2018. So he does have that uh, kind of excuse, which is very legitimate uh, for his production dip in 2019. But at the same time, just not a lot of production. Redshirt senior from FIU is not exactly, uh, you know, a promising overall uh, track record. And, you know, his production wasn't good this season. And, not, his tape wasn't that great either, so I feel like that if they wanted to back up from It made more sense, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. I think that there's uh, this makes a lot more sense, and a lot of people are realizing I would have gone a different way. Uh, both in terms of if they were, if I was going to take a quarterback, I would have taken Fromm, uh, and I definitely would have taken a receiver or an edge rusher. You know, Anai was still there. He went much later. Bradley and I did, but uh, he was interesting there. Tyler Johnson, again, he went much later too, but. I would have gone a different direction in terms of position, but at the same time, quarterback does make a lot of sense there. And uh, also, in terms of quarterback, I probably would have gone with Jake Fromm. But uh, overall, I do think that this decision makes a lot more sense, and you just have to trust uh, Douglas's uh, and the entire front office's scouting uh, in
0: terms right. of what they saw from him, both on and off the field. Right. I see what you're saying there about Fromm, but I, I do disagree with that a little bit because one, I think people thought that Jake Fromm didn't have an NFL arm. And right. So and if, that's definitely fair because he could, you know, be that one, that kind of quarterback that just doesn't have it. Right. And so it's like if his ceiling isn't that high, you're also you're taking a quarterback on day three. It's it's as Todd Bowles eloquently said, it's an educated crapshoot if you're going to take a cube. So you don't really know his floor um, and you could take a guy like that where it's like, OK, his his upside is that he could maybe be a competent backup in the league. Or you take a guy like Morgan, it's like, yeah, his floor might be a little bit lower than from but. Uh, you know, you draft him, he sits behind Darnold. Hopefully Darnold plays all 16 and he doesn't have to play. He sits and he develops for a whole year. Uh, then he comes down, and if Darnold goes down the next year or you see him in pre preseason or something, it's like, oh, now we've started to develop a competent backup. He clearly has the tools to succeed. Now after a year of NFL coaching, he's, he's really had time to sit because a lot of times when you're picking quarterback high, uh, the, the toolsy, not refined guys are kind of scary because you want them to play immediately. But if you're taking a guy who can afford to sit for a while, Uh, Like hopefully Morgan will with Darnold, you know, hopefully being healthy uh, this next season for for all 16 games for the first time in his career. Um, He can really develop behind NFL coaching for a whole year. And then if he hits his ceiling, uh, you know, let's say two or three years from now, let's say Darnold goes down for a few games, he impresses, he impresses in the preseason, whatever. You can flip him and get uh, him. Uh, you can get picks back that are higher than a fourth. Maybe you could trade him for a second or something in 2023 or something. You, know, you never know. Uh, so I I do disagree with you there because I thought Fromm's ceiling was just so much lower than Morgan's. Um, but I agree with you there on the quarter. I, I wouldn't have taken a quarterback there in the fourth. But obviously Douglas uh, felt that that Morgan wasn't going to last to the fifth round, certainly. And he probably felt that he wasn't going to even last to 129. If he's their guy, if you think that he can be a, a, a stud in the NFL and he's at the most important position in all of sports, uh, you trust your scouting and you take him. I don't necessarily hate that. That would be the one pick that I, I didn't – that I did question a little bit. But again, Joe Douglas has earned the benefit of the doubt here for, for me. Um, you know, I'll give him another year. But if, if this was Mike McCagnin, I might be questioning a little bit more. But Joe Douglas and, and the front office that he's built uh, and the job that he's done and his understanding of the board like we talked about, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on, on – uh, morgan i'm excited to see morgan in the preseason see where he's at uh and then uh you know hopefully uh, after a whole year of developing we can see what type of, of backup quarterback uh he, he could be uh, in the nfl uh then with their third pick in the fourth round pick 129 the second of the two picks new england traded uh for for pick 101 they took cameron clark from charlotte offensive tackle and i think this might be my favorite pick uh, uh of the whole day, I think this guy is going to be a stud at guard uh, for the NFL. He played, he dominated his competition, which you should if you played at University of Charlotte. But then when he went and played Clemson this year, he also played quite well. Uh, he projects as a guard at the next level. I like his versatility that he played tackle, but he's going to probably be a guard. He's a guy that hopefully uh, we were talking about the the best case scenario for the Jets 2021 offensive line. You know, if all these guys develop and you could be looking at an offensive line of Beckton and Clark and McGovern, you don't really know the right guard situation for down the line. Obviously, you know, it's Greg Van Roten or Alex Lewis this year uh, and then right tackle to Doga. Those guys can all develop. But with Clark, I, I actually do think there's a very good chance he could develop into a starting long term uh, offensive guard in this league. He's friends with Mekhi Beckton. They've worked out together. He has the versatility to play tackle. I really like it, and it just really strikes me as a as a Joe Douglas pick. He's made his bones in this league, scouting those day three offensive linemen. Uh, and you know, he is credited with finding Marshall Yonda. This was one of the biggest things I, I wanted to follow in this draft was the offensive lineman that Joe Douglas was going to take in day three. Clark was his guy. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. Michael, your thoughts on the pick?
1: Yeah, I really like this one. This is one of my favorite picks uh, of the draft, and, and we talked about it yesterday when we were you know, previewing day three that we thought they would take two offensive linemen today, and they didn't do that, but they did go uh, with one of their highest picks um, uh, with Cameron Clark in the third round. And I really like this because, you know, uh, like you said, he has that connection with Makai Becton, which uh, I really don't think it's one of those things that is just, you know, you know, kind of one of those uh, off the field things doesn't really matter that much. I think that connection can really be helpful, especially if he does play left guard right next to Makai Becton. And again, it's not like they play together, but uh, it's just, I think chemistry is really well, I mean, they important on ca- the kinda offensive do. line.
0: They kind of do. Yeah. DeVito talked about it. It's not necessarily about having the five best offensive linemen. It's about having the five best that, that gel has won.
1: Right, right. And I was actually just going to get to that, that Mike DeVito talked about how important that chemistry is. So even if they haven't played together, just you know having some experience together uh, is really important. So I think that can be beneficial. But in terms of the player, he does project uh, inside. That's what most uh, scouts and experts seem to believe. And obviously coming over from, a smaller school in Charlotte or lesser competition uh, in Charlotte, then uh, it definitely is worth doing that. And he has the size and power to really be able to do that. And he's just very similar to Mekhi Becton, known as a guy who uh, has that overwhelming power, that mean streak. And it's just a theme uh, that we're seeing now with all the offensive linemen. Joe Douglas is coveting. He's a really, and, you know, most offensive linemen, you know, really should have that mean streak. But uh, Douglas in particular has looked for guys who are really, Fitting that bill and just across the entire board, not just offensive line. Really, uh, he talked about he's going to try and build this culture and every single GM talks about building culture and all these things off the field. But Douglas is really living up to it with all these picks, uh, high character guys, team captains. I think he took five team captains in this draft. He's really emphasizing and totally living up to what he said about building a culture, taking guys who are hard nosed, gritty, tough, all of those buzzwords who truly are all those things and embody those traits. And uh, Cameron Clark really lives up to it. Uh, And I think one of the good things about him coming out of Charlotte is that last year, the Titans took Nate Davis out of Charlotte in the third round. He started for them throughout the season, played really well down the stretch and in the playoffs was a big part of that run game uh, with Derrick Henry getting super hot. The Titans uh, racking up some of those upsets. Nate Davis was a big part of that. So there's already a precedent uh, of, interior offensive lineman coming out of there in the middle rounds uh, with Nate Davis. So, uh Bacarque played really well for them. He only gave up four pressures at tackle last season was, uh, I believe seventh best in the nation among all tackles, uh, which is over 300 qualifiers. So about the 98th percentile uh, in terms of pass blocking efficiency, he was really good at tackle does project inside, but played really well, has that nastiness connection with Becton uh, and they're starting to build that pipeline on the interior offensive line. And you look at the overall offensive line situation now, uh, Douglas has just set it up so well. And he's done this all in one offseason, although he did add Alex Lewis a uh, trade for him uh, in the previous offseason, but he re-signed in this offseason. Douglas has done this all so quickly. You have your, you have two centerpieces. You have McGovern in the center. Uh, at the center position, you have Beckton at left tackle. Those two guys are long-term pieces. You know, hopefully Beckton pans out. Hopefully McGovern continues playing well. But those guys are locked in their premium pieces. Then uh, at the guard spots, you have two stop gaps. You have Lewis, you have Van Roen. Hopefully those guys can play at an average level this the season, especially in the passing game. Uh, but long-term, obviously they're not solutions. They're not elite talents. You want to get better from them. Uh, but until you are ready, those guys can hold the fort down. And now you add Clark in there. If he doesn't compete this year, he, he probably will be able to compete in 2021. Hopefully take over that left guard spot uh, next season. Uh, and then at right tackle, you have Edoga, who wasn't a Douglas pick, but was a third rounder last year, has intriguing potential. And next to him, you have George Fant as well. So if Edoga doesn't uh, pan out and do as expected and fulfills potential, make that second year leap and take that right tackle spot, you have George Fant there, who is, uh, although I'm I'm not the biggest fan of his, I think he's going to continue to really struggle in pass protection uh, he is a nice fit in terms of the Adam Gase's run game, having that athleticism. Uh, so he's a stopgap at, uh, option at right tackle as well. So the pipeline's really good. You have two centerpieces long term. You have three stopgaps. And now you have two very intriguing mid-round prospects in Clark and Edoga. So what he's done on the offensive line is extremely impressive. They weren't going to rebuild the whole thing this offseason. This still could uh, at Probably at best case scenario this season be an average offensive line, but it should be improved quite a bit this season from being the worst offensive line in the league to probably somewhere in that mid-20s range. So still substantially improved, but the potential is now there long term. Once Becton steps up, if hopefully one of these, either Clark or Doga, hopefully both can step up long term, the the pipeline is there. From It goes from... You have your two centerpieces, you have stop gaps, uh, and you have developmental pieces. So he's done an excellent job setting up this offensive line to be better both this season and in the future.
0: Yeah, and I definitely think Clark is a guy that, that could actually see time this year. And we saw it last year, that you, and I've said it ad nauseum. Your team in September is not your team in right. December. And
1: especially these two guys. Greg Van Rowan missed a few games last season. Right. Alex Lewis has generally been, uh, even though he stayed healthy this last season, he's really struggled with durability before last season.
0: And same with Brian Winter. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, you're right. They've definitely started to build the pipeline with him, Andy Doga. I guess he Doga was Mac last year, but they've done a good job of having two developmental uh, rookies uh, in, in waiting in the wings. Uh, but I really like Clark. I think Clark... Uh, is absolutely going to be a stud. Uh, you know, it's weird that I was I was scrolling through uh, Dame Brueglers athletics draft guide, just looking at offensive line prospects, and I saw him, and I saw Charlotte, and I was like, that just kind of seems like a random day three Joe Douglas selection for, for an offensive line. After they picked him, I, I went and watched some more of him, uh, you know, read some opinions from, from people who know a hell of a lot more about this than I do, and then certainly the fact that Joe Douglas, the offensive line aficionado, took himself. Uh, I'm sold. Uh, I'm excited about Clark. Uh, sliding in there at guard. Uh, and, and the Jets are building an identity up front, which I think is important. They're building a nasty, violent identity. Uh, and and just after after watching 16 games of, of I was going to say Sam Darnold, but I guess he only played in, in, in 13. But uh, after watching 16 games of a Jets quarterback running for his absolute life and Le'Veon Bell running to the backside of his defenders, I'm glad that Joe Douglas has finally... Um, you know, doing what he said he would do. He's a man of his word, putting the emphasis on O-line. He knows that that's where you're going to win. Uh, if you want to win, you build a good offensive line. There aren't many bad teams in the NFL with great offensive lines. Joe Douglas knows this. The last time the Jets were good, they went to the AFC championships. Um, so starting to rebuild that offensive line. Joe Douglas in one year took it from the starting lineup is, uh, when he took over was Kelvin Beecham, Kaleccio Assembly, Jonathan Harrison, uh, Brian Winters and Brandon Shell and now it's looking at for for 2020 to be McKay Beckton, Alex Lewis, uh Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten, uh and George Fanchuma Doga. There's some competition there in the interior and in the right tackle spot, but overall just in a, a you know a, a complete 180 from uh, from where they were last year. They're heading in the right direction. They're not a completely finished product. Van Roten is is a bit of a stopgap. Lewis is you know hopefully it could be more of a depth guy or unless he develops more this year. Um but he's definitely turned the, the the unit around the depth is better I'm um, just just overall really excited to watch Sam Darnold have a, have a clean pockets to throw from just given his play style you know uh- we talked about it when he was coming out that he is good under pressure and, and when facing a blitz. But he's even better when he has time to dance around in the pocket, create plays, uh, wait for the secondary to break down and throw. And he always puts the ball in the right spot. So anytime you have a guy like that, you just want to give him time to make the plays. And so I'm really excited to watch that and to watch Le'Veon Bell actually run behind a competent offensive line. Hopefully Douglas is doing that for uh, the New York Jets. Uh, in the fifth round, a bit of a surprise. Bryce Hall, corner from Virginia, fell all the way uh, to the Jets um, at pick 158. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on this selection? Because he was a guy that many had going in the third round. Some people would have had a second round grade on him if he if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, he was a bit of a mock draft darling uh, uh, for the Jets, and the Jets ended up getting him all the way in the fifth round. It seems like he was a, It seems like an ideal cover three-man uh, corner, which is something the Jets had a lot of success with towards the end of last year. We know Greg Williams likes to play a lot of press man. Uh, so just overall, your thoughts on, on Bryce Hall, though. He does seem like, at the very least, a very good developmental uh, corner with high upside, taking the gamble uh, since he's coming off the injury uh, in 2019.
1: Yeah, I think I was definitely looking at Bryce Hall much earlier than they took him. And again, just speaks to Douglas's knowledge of the board, Um, knowing where these players are going to fall, especially players, uh, you know, like uh, Hall that, you know, have injury questions. And, you know, like you said, was probably, you know, maybe even a second round talent. But, you know, even with the injuries, it seemed like he's probably going to be a second or a third round pick. He continued to slip because of those injuries. So, you know, we'll see if he's even healthy enough to play this season. Uh, They're definitely they're definitely it seems like that he might uh, that it is a question mark in terms of a kind of like bless Austin in terms of his ability to play the season. But talent wise, he's definitely a round two kind of guy. Uh, Like you said, he's a good cover three fits of the Jets do choose to continue playing the way that uh, they did near the end of last season, which it seems like they will with all these Colts defensive backs that they're adding that they're really going to buy into this cover three identity that they built at the end of last season. Uh, So Hall is a great fit in that regard. His production is really good in terms of, you know, just pass rating allowed, yards per cover snap. Very good production uh, at Virginia. So he's definitely a really good value at the spot where they got him. A good scheme fit. I I was looking at him a lot earlier, and it was uh, surprising to see him fall that far. And Douglas uh, just picks up another really good value.
0: Yeah, and and as we see with what he does later in the draft, he certainly and in the undrafted free agent ranks, he he certainly is putting emphasis on the cornerback spot. Bless Austin is not going to be gifted that outside spot, which I think some of us were were a little worried about. Although I, I'm very uh, intrigued by Bless Austin's upside, he'll certainly come into camp with with a leg up. But uh, between Hall and 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 well, I'll, I'll wait till after it so we can we can fully discuss all of them. But I certainly think Hall will have a chance to compete in training camp to get some considerable playing time between him and Ashton Davis. Though I do think Douglas did a really good job bolstering this secondary. And then with Zuniga, uh, I think he, he's he's added to that front seven, especially with some of the other undrafted free agency signed. So, you know, I, I think he's he's done a good job at adding to Greg Williams unit while not placing an emphasis on it, recognizing that the offense is where the majority of his attention should go. And that's what Douglas did. He was able to add some positions at, at the two spots where the Jets were weak against, which is pass rush. Uh, and in the secondary, he's done that. Um, uh, so overall I would give, uh, Joe Douglas props for just even getting a player like Bryce Hall when you're, when you're looking at guys in, in the fifth round or the sixth round or the seventh round, it's like, that's where you take the gambles and a guy like hall who could have been a second round pick, if not for that injury, uh high character guy, again, uh, you know, I, I definitely makes a lot of sense uh, for the jets, a team captain, just, uh, a really good pick here for, for Joe Douglas and, and terrific value. Um, with pick one ninety nine their fir- Pick one ninety one excuse me their First pick of the sixth round the Jets Selected Brayden man punter from Texas A&M a bit of a surprise unless you've Been reading Manish Meta for the past Two weeks because he's been saying how Much the Jets are interested in him and To keep an eye on him um, so clearly uh, he, he had uh, Some inside information there on, on man About all the homework they've done on Him um, I watched one Pat McAfee video on Him and I was completely sold you um, <laughs> absolute piss missile as, as he put it man clearly has the leg uh i believe he won the ray guy award uh for best punter in in, in college football uh so clearly uh has the leg and, and unfortunately might be putting uh, our man uh the man the myth the legend lack edwards to rest uh as i don't believe he'll be coming back here uh in, in 2020 after after spending a six-round pick on a punter but you know it does show punters matter too if you're getting a guy who who can be your punter for the next ten years, it's certainly an A plus pick. Um even if you're getting a guy who's just can can flip flip field position with how much the Jets punted last year, that is is certainly gonna be a big thing. Um so I, I like the man pick. Uh, it seems like one of his biggest issues last year was was sometimes out punting his, his his coverage team on distance. So he's gotta work a little bit more on hang time and less on distance, but he clearly has the leg. Uh, and the accolades to go along with. And Michael, your thoughts on, on selecting a punter, and specifically this punter at 191.
1: Yeah, so day three is really where you see the specialists kind of come into play. Uh, and and the results have been mixed, really, when you look back. There are some uh, kickers and punters that get selected, have long careers, play really well, but there haven't been a decent amount of busts. But uh, at the same time, I think the floor is a lot higher when you go uh, with the kicker or punter in the sense that uh, it doesn't take a lot for these guys to make a team and uh, to play at a quality level. Whereas if you take another position, it's a long shot for them to even make a team or be able to play offense or defense uh, because a lot of them can play special teams, but making uh, a, an the offensive or, or defensive role is a lot harder. But if you go to special teams player, there is a higher floor. You kind of know that you're going to ha- bring that guy in uh, and chew him in as your starter, whether it's kicker punter, but Uh, With Bryce Mann and, you know, the decision that, you know, Lachlan Edwards probably won't be coming back, uh, I I do think that, you know, this is a swing for the fences in a sense because with Lachlan Edwards, you know, he steadily improved. His career didn't start off too well in 2016. But uh, over the past couple of years, the Jets punt unit has been among the absolute best in the league. Uh, And it's really largely been because of the coverage, just doing such a great job. And I do think that Lachlan Edwards has kind of been a little bit lucky. His numbers in terms of hang time uh, inside the 20 punts, things like that, aren't too good. Uh, he does have a really good rate of punts downed, which is a uh, credit to his punt team. But uh, I think overall, the the gist with Lachlan Edwards has been that he's not one of those elite punters. There are a few of them in the league, uh, whether it's Thomas Morstead, Brett Kern, guys like that. Guys who are just consistently year by year pinning uh, pinning opponents deep inside their own territory or booming punts. Uh, just being able to do things like that. He's not necessarily one of those guys, but at the same time, the punt unit just has not been an issue for the Jets, and they've had to punt a lot. So there's been a lot of opportunities for this unit to mess up, and it just hasn't under Lachlan Edwards. So uh, you you do have a chance by moving on from him of uh, getting a guy, uh, you know, taking man here. You do have the chance with his talent uh, to get another Brett Kern, Thomas Morstead, a really good punter who just is able. Uh, to change the game. And Bill Belichick all the time is praising other teams' punters and their ability to change games. It, it really can matter. Uh, hopefully it doesn't matter that much for this team or as much as it has the past few years, uh, but it can matter. Uh, and I, so I think with man. Uh, his leg is obviously really, really good. Uh, there are some, not that practice videos matter, but there, there's this one video where uh, he's out of kicking camp, and he's booming kicks 70 yards with like five and a half second hang time. If you can get, uh, The average hang time is generally in the four and a half second range, so that is pretty ridiculous. He obviously has the talent, uh, and he has a lot of these highlight reel kicks, 60 yarders uh, against uh, in some really big games, so he's got the leg for sure, but uh, in terms of the downside, you mentioned it. It comes up on a scouting report uh, that he does have the tendency to outkick his coverage. And that's how big kicks, uh, big kick returns can happen. It, it, as much as it's about kicking the ball really far, getting good hang time, it's about location, precision, understanding the situation uh, and working in camaraderie with uh, your coverage team to be able to get the best result based on the situation, the opponent. Things like that. And uh, he actually did say, uh, I saw a quote, Robbie Sabo, who's actually on the conference call with him, put it out that he does see himself as a good situational punter who understands the situation. So it does seem like he does have that knowledge and uh, ability to improve there. But uh, it's uh, it's a swing for the fences, I think. That's how I see it. You can get a lot better than Edwards. But at the same time, Edwards has been steady for you. You haven't had problems with him relying on him quite a bit with such a bad offense He hasn't messed up too much. Uh, So you can, there's a lot of room to get better here because I feel like the coverage unit has bailed him out a lot. Like just Edwards hasn't had too many of those punts, just pinning people back. He's had a lot of lucky bounces, things like that. Uh, So there's a lot of room to get better here, but at the same time uh, you're taking something that has been an issue and kind of opening the door for it to be one with the rookie punter. As we saw with Edwards, he struggled. It's not as much of an instant impact position as it seems like there's still an adjustment curve. Uh, for uh, kickers and punters too. So, uh, but I do like it. It seems like he is really uh, that top tier punter talent that deserves to be drafted uh, in the sixth round. So it'll be interesting to watch and the Jets special teams has been really good.
0: It's going to be fun to see if uh, Braden and man can make them even better. Yeah. And I think you really see the the benefits of having a good punter on those drives where maybe you get one or two first downs and then you're on your own 45 and you're punting. If you have a guy who can pin an offense inside the five, that severely limits what an offense can do. It opens up the defense to, to get safeties. Uh, but most of the times drives that start inside the five go three and out because they run, 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 and then maybe a pass. Um, and then your offense has the ball back in great field position. Uh, and not to mention, you know, those big booming punts that can flip field position as a whole. It does matter. And Lack Edwards, I would say, I, I agree with you. I think he was helped out because Brant Boyer is a terrific special teams coach. That coverage unit did, a, did an awesome job, but, you can add an elite punter to that unit. Uh, and with, you know, the Jets punted more times than any team in the NFL last year. It's clearly an important uh, position for an Adam Gase offense. Um, but I, I, I like the pick. I, That's it, a really it, subtle knock on Adam Gase. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't subtle. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I just think that, um, uh, that if you can get a guy who can be your punter for the next five to ten years, it's worth it. Bill Belichick took a punter last year, I believe in the fifth. Uh, I might be wrong. Maybe it was the six, but he clearly t- he took a day three punter last year. Um, I agree with it. I definitely think that um, that it, it, if he hits, um, it, it definitely adds to the overall value of Douglas's draft class, uh, because the alternative there was to, to sign somebody in free agency. So it does make a lot of sense that they that they could draft a guy and they get arguably the best guy in the whole class. Um, so I think that out of the day three picks, uh, he probably well He definitely has the the opportunity to make the biggest impact on day one. Um, as, as far as the other guys, I think hall might, you know, will compete in training camp, get some time, you know, bless Austin did end up finishing the year starting. So you never know. Uh, I think P Ryan will split carries, but I, and, uh, I think Morgan will obviously be on the bench and then we'll see about Clark, uh, maybe getting some time, like call towards the end of the year. But I think, uh, between man and P Ryan, those two will have the most impact on day one, but specifically man, I think he'll, um, clearly, uh, be uh, getting the ball a lot, um, for the New York jets uh and then pick 211 was traded for Quincy Wilson and that was so man turned out to be Joe Douglas's last pick uh of the draft uh, traded for Quincy Wilson a corner uh, coming out of University of Florida in 2017 he was a guy that I liked a lot uh and a lot of people in the draft community liked so i'd imagine that Joe Douglas had his eyes on him uh jets uh i believe its director of player personnel uh at least somebody in their front office uh, uh Rex Hogan uh, comes from Indianapolis. So he clearly has a familiarity with Quincy Wilson. These two front offices have worked together uh, quite a few times now, was involved in the Darnold trade. Uh, they traded for Henry Anderson. They swapped to seventh. Um, they They've signed Pierre Desir. They've signed uh, Josh Andrews. So they signed – the Jets have barred a lot from the, from the Indianapolis Colts, clearly an, organiza- excuse me, an organization they're, they're, they they're look up to um, or trying to model themselves after. Um, but Quincy, I think he's a perfect fit in, in Greg Williams's defense. He's only 23 you do like the upside, and then when you're looking at six-round picks, you can get an established—or I don't want to say an established, but an experienced veteran corner. Only 23 with a lot of upside. I like the move. I know he didn't have a great year last year, so some Colts fans are pretty low on him. But I do think the scheme fit. You know, in 2017, 2018, they played a lot more man, and he had he had more success. And then 2019, uh, the Colts played a lot more zone, and that's where you saw Wilson struggle. So he's he's strictly more of a press man corner. But that's that's quite all right for Greg Greg Williams. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on the trade for Quincy Wilson? It seems like judging by your Twitter feeds, you're, you're a pretty big fan of this one.
1: Yeah, I am. I, I don't want to say I love it because it's not that Wilson is necessarily uh, a guarantee to even be a starter for them. But I, I'm a huge fan of trading late round picks for known commodities just because uh, you look at the numbers behind how hard it is to hit on these picks. I posted a few of them earlier. So 396 players are drafted in the sixth round. Uh, the 2010s decade, so from 2010 to 2019. In 2019, only 19 of those 396 players started at least 12 games. That's about 5%. Only 86 of them even just appeared in at least 10 games, so a lot of those guys are just playing on special teams or backups, but uh, only 21% of them, or about 22% of them, uh, 86 out 396 even played in 10 games in 2019. So it's very hard to find hits at this point of the draft. So if if you can trade for a player, e- even Quincy Wilson struggled a lot last season and had a hard time getting on the field there, whether it was injuries or uh, just you know competing with all the depth that they had on the defensive backfield, a lot of that depth which is now with the Jets, uh, but he. Even though he didn't have the best, uh, did not live up to his second-round billing there, we know Quincy Wilson can play in the NFL. He's played, you know, had some good performances before. He was a pretty, performed at a pretty decent level over his first two seasons. He was about uh, in at the 72nd percentile in yards per cover snap in 2018 when he played 13 games. So we've seen him play decently in this league. He was a second-round pick. Uh, we know he's an NFL player and the average six round pick, you just don't know if you're going to be getting an NFL player. Most of these guys just do not amount to anything on offense. Or, you know, you could get some special teamers, but to get a starter in the sixth round is extremely hard. And again, it's not that Quincy Wilson is going to be one for the Jets. But, you know, like you said, 23 years old, second round pick a few years ago. He's played decently in this league. He's giving you a lot more than whatever player you would have picked. Uh, at 211, or I believe it was 211, but in the late sixth round is going to give you. So I'm a huge fan of this, and that cornerback room now has got so much competition. And when you don't have a, when you don't have sure things at start uh, at, in the starting lineup, which the Jets do not have a cornerback, competition is so important. You have, uh, and again, a lot of these guys are former Colts. But you have Quincy Wilson, you have Nate Harrison, and you have Pierre Desir. Those three guys being former Colts, but you have Bless Austin, you have Arthur Millette. There's a lot of comp, Even if you want to throw Ashton Davis, if they do convert him to cornerback, I think he's going to stick at free safety. But they have a lot of competition on the outside at cornerback. And that's exactly what they need. None of these guys uh, really deserve to be shooed into a spot. You know, maybe Desir does because he's got the most experience, has played well, did play well in 2018. But, uh, there's a lot of competition here and that's really important because uh, they don't have a guy who is proven enough to earn that spot. So to have uh, all these guys together battling it out for a spot is going to be really beneficial for everybody.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. And and you talk about the competition that they've added at cornerback. I think that was a big concern for jets fans going into this draft. And you look at what Joe Douglas has done uh, in this draft with adding two guys really late on day three uh, with Bryce Hall, uh, and Quincy Wilson, and then you can even factor in the safety that they took Ashton Davis, who has some cornerback flexibility, can play some slot corner and some dime packages. Uh, and then when you look towards the undrafted free agents, which we're going to talk about uh, right now, I guess uh, Javelin Guidry from Utah, my guy uh, Lamar Jackson from Nebraska. Um, That's right, Lamar Jackson, the sixth round favor in the mock round uh, in yeah. the mock draft machine. <laughs> He was yeah, he was a constant six round uh, pick for me. Yeah. Every um,
1: time six round comes up, you're like, oh Lamar Jackson's there. He's a pretty decent corner. Just, I don't want like to pass.
0: I mean, you made the mistake on passing on Lamar Jackson one time. Might as well uh, <laughs> make sure you don't make that mistake again. I'm just kidding. I like Sam Darnold. But um
1: yeah, okay, you're looking all knocked
0: gay Sam Darnold down with subtle <laughs> subtle jabs here. Come on. No, hey, uh long term bold take. Oh, no, I'm not gonna say it. I, I don't <laughs> want to jinx it. Never mind. Um But when you look at the cornerback room that the Jets do have uh, right now, you have Pierre Desir, who I really liked. I thought that was a really smart signing for the Jets. Uh, Bless Austin showed a lot last year. Uh, Brian Poole in the slot was arguably the best slot corner in the league last year. And then you have all these guys that they've added to the room, uh, with Bryce Hall, with Quincy Wilson, with Lamar Jackson, Guidry, you already have Arthur Millette. You have Nate Harrison that you traded a pick for last year, who's is actually pretty solid in the slot outside. He, he loses some, uh, some points there. So they do have a lot of competition at corner, like you talked about, and that's going to be a fascinating storyline, uh, to monitor, at, uh, in training camp. If there is one. Uh, it's to see how that that cornerback unit shakes out, but I, I do like, as I mentioned before, I like how Douglas was able to really bolster Greg Williams's defense and give him a lot more to do because I think last year we saw him really have to stretch it thin to, to you know, for his scheme to work. I like how he's able to bolster his unit uh, without putting too much of an emphasis on defense. He really made sure to focus on that offense, specifically that offensive line, and helping out Sam Darnold. Um, but yeah, I think I, w- with the picks of Davis and and Zuniga and uh, with Hall uh, and, and then the trade for Quincy Wilson. I think you, you saw him add a lot to that defense uh, that that I'm excited about. Uh, some other uh, undrafted free agents we could talk about. Maybe, Michael, you can just talk about some of your favorites or, or something that, that you know, obviously maybe only one or two of these guys makes the roster, maybe another one or two make the practice squad. But Robbie Anderson was an undrafted free agent a few years ago for the Jets, and he just got a big uh, contract with the Panthers. So there is a chance that there, there's a guy on this list here that that could make an impact for the Jets. Um, Lawrence Cager, the wide receiver from Georgia, we watched about five minutes of his YouTube highlights, and they checked out. So I think we're we're yeah. all aboard the Cager board, Cager uh, train. Um, from those highlights, I think we're able to surmise that uh he he's great in the red zone on those jump ball uh jump ball uh, uh opportunities he's 6-5 so he has the prototypical size you want and then he competed in the SEC. So I like that swing by Joe Douglas. They added the two corners I mentioned, uh defensive tackles Sterling Johnson from Coastal uh, Carolina and then defensive tackle Dominique Davis from UNC Pembroke. Uh, Bryce Huff from from Memphis who who impressed the senior bowl. Uh, so like that, they took Jay Hilbers, uh, an offensive tackle, or they signed Jay Hilbers, an offensive tackle from University of Washington. And then the most recent one, as of the recording of the podcast, I would imagine there's going to be a few more that we probably won't talk about. But again, as a lot of these guys won't even make the team, um, George Campbell, receiver from West Virginia, who's who's more of a speedier receiver, which was the the one position I thought, as we talked about, that I thought Douglas could target a little bit more was, was adding um, – uh, another uh, uh receiver and uh, specifically a speed receiver because i thought denzel mims obviously has the speed same with paramon but i thought gaze was going to want more of a shiftier speed guy that they could throw a quick slant to and he could take it 80 yards um kind of the intermediate guys i like james proche i like Devin duverney i like those guys obviously they went elsewhere actually both to the, to the ravens ironically enough um but the, the jets could sign a guy like george campbell it maybe the jets like as i said earlier that that potentially quincy nunwa um My point to to the fact that he might uh, actually make an impact this year, although he's not the shifty small guy. He is a guy who can who can uh, dominate in those intermediate routes. Um, But uh, the other guy that I think might be filling that role this year might be Vincent Smith, who does have the speed, does have a year in Adam Gase's uh, system. So we'll see in training camp uh, the bottom half of this receiver group. If there's anybody that can really step up and identify themselves as the marquee number four, we know the top three are going to be Perriman, Mims and Crowder. We don't really know about a noon one. And then after that, I do think there are some intriguing names in this group, uh, but we really got to see who can separate themselves to be that fourth uh, receiver who's actually going to get some playing time. Um, It's an intriguing bunch. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on on the undrafted free agents?
1: Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson is really the only one that was kind of on my radar uh, before seeing this list of the guys they've signed, at least up to this point uh, as we're recording this. But Jackson's numbers are really good, so obviously that – Appeals to me. He only gave up a 56 passer rating. Uh, That was in the 93rd percentile among cornerbacks, 0.70 yards per cover snap, 91st percentile. Uh, And he did it at Nebraska. So he's playing against pretty good competition. He's 6'2", got really good length. uh, And and that's kind of what comes back to bite him. I feel like uh, from most of the scouting reports I've read, uh, just getting the consensus from gathering, the information on him is that, you know, he's kind of thriving off of that length. Uh, in size without having the technique to back it up. And it really seems like he has a lot of refinements to make. If he's actually going to be able uh, to last in the league at all. But uh, his production was really good uh, playing uh, against some really good competition at Nebraska. So uh, that does appeal to me. But, you know, overall, the undrafted free agent class, I think for the most part, I think on average, and I don't have numbers to back it up, but I feel like generally you see one to two, uh, one to two players out of these classes per year make the team, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they
0: can get anything out of wide receiver. Yeah, I think that's that's where the Jets could try to try to find somebody with such a deep receiving class. So hopefully some of these guys that fall into the undrafted uh, category, you know, might have been six or seventh round picks. In other years, maybe one of them can hit. I think that is the position to keep an eye on. As you said, I, I do like Lamar Jackson. And the other thing to remember with this undrafted free agent class, I, I do think it could it does have the opportunity to be the best, uh, you know, maybe in history. Just given the fact that the last stage of the scouting process uh, didn't really get to get, get didn't get to happen due to the coronavirus, um, which I think is kind of when you see a lot of those those undrafted guys push themselves into to late late round picks with, you know, uh, with interviews with, with the coaching staff and, and talking with them and really getting to know them team visits and whatnot. That's kind of when you can, when you can separate yourself uh, as being a draftable player. Um, so I do think there is a chance that there are a few guys in this list that actually could contribute, uh, the receivers are the ones that I'm going to keep an eye on for sure, because, you know, past those top three, it, it, there's a lot of question marks, um, not necessarily absolute garbage. It's more just, you know, can Josh Dotson turn his career around? What is Vincent Smith at this point in his career? You know, can Braxton Barrios, you know, uh, make himself more than you know a solid punt returner? Um, and he might be even losing that job to Ashton Davis. So, the, the, you know, there are a few guys, uh, especially at that receiver position, that I'm going to be watching. But uh, I'll, we'll keep you know in, in looking at these undrafted free agent lists, and and especially as, as we get towards training camp, that's where you're going to see some of these guys separate themselves. But Michael, overall. We've done a podcast for rounds one, we did a podcast for rounds two and three, and we did one for for day three of the NFL draft. So we've had content on all these picks individually talking about them. Now let's take a look back, the whole draft as a whole, your thoughts on Joe Douglas. Now that you've seen the complete uh, draft, all nine picks, uh, and then I guess the trade for for Quincy Wilson, what are your thoughts on it? What are your biggest takeaways from it?
1: Yeah, I really love... Uh, I just love the draft overall. And again, it just comes down to approach and mentality and mindset, the way they go about it. And uh, the Jets actually did this. And it's we've kind of been sitting here for a couple of days now since it happened. But uh, we do all these mock drafts for so many months. We're like, let's get that tackle in round one. Let's get that receiver in round two. And uh, it just kind of becomes normal to you like you expect it to happen. But For all the years we've been looking at uh, the Jets' needs and mapping out the ideal way for them to address them in the draft, it doesn't always pan out that way. It actually pretty much never does. But the Jets were able to come into this draft, stay tight number 11. They were lucky enough that teams didn't take Becton or worse in the top 10. They had their choice between those two guys. They got Mekhi Becton, who is doing an amazing job of pumping up everybody, even down to the punter on Twitter. So he's already winning points with me for that. But they were able to sit there at 11, get the offensive tackle, which was so huge because of the drop-off after those four elite prospects. It was a big drop-off after that, but they got, they addressed their biggest need with an elite prospect, didn't have to trade up to do it. Then they go into the second round, and Douglas is able to trade down, uh, sensing the board so well, and still get Denzel uh, Denzel Mims, even after he slips way down to 48, slips even more to them, 59, and gets that solved too, so... They did exactly what they need to do. They filled their two biggest needs in order in the first two rounds with Beckton and then Mims. And it just has not panned out that way for the Jets uh, throughout all these years. You go back to 2018, you're like, okay, we got Darnold, let's supplement him. And then they take Nathan Shepard in the third round. They didn't have a second round pick that year. So uh, it just for the Jets to be able to come out and just do such a great job uh, addressing their needs and doing it with talent, that actually warrants the draft slots that they took those players in. Uh, Douglas just did such a great job of balancing both need and talent in this draft, patching the holes, but doing it in efficient sound way and also adding some more picks in the process.
0: Right. And as we, we talked about a lot of fans, will just look at a draft and say, okay, need checked, need checked, need checked a plus draft. Uh, And, and, you know, and then it's the opposite with Mike Cagnon who really didn't, didn't even look like he knew the Jets roster at times and would just go with the best player on his board and his boards are trash anyways. So, uh, with Douglas, uh, I liked the new drafting strategy, drafting for the New York Jets, but not forcing needs. And I think that was the big thing. He's, he drafted the best players for the New York Jets, but he didn't force the needs. He didn't reach for anybody. I wouldn't say. I mean, Morgan would be the one question mark. But given the the Pats' interest in him, maybe he thought that Bill was going to trade up, and then the fact that they had a pick four picks later, I think Morgan was probably going to go uh, in that fourth round. So you could argue that that wasn't even a reach. Um, No reaches in this class, all premium positions outside of the punter, I guess. Um, And and they they really do complement and supplement what the Jets are trying to build. I think that was a great point you just made when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold and then drafted Nathan Shepard. And Nathan Shepard has actually turned into a solid player, but it's
1: like— I like Nathan
0: Shepard, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, you you turn the corner on him because he he was getting a lot of hate at this time last year. Hopefully, Quentin Williams can do a similar thing. Um, but even a pick like Ashton Davis in the third, which was got raised some eyebrows at first because you know fans are like, uh, you know, why are we taking a safety in the third? But then when you look into it, you look at you know some teams had a first round grade on this guy. You think of the three safety packages that the Jets can yeah, run with him. And I think I think Davis
1: is just the perfect pick to encapsulate this class because it's not like that because. He was a great value in terms of talent. Most people had a low first round, high second round grade on him. Uh, You know, even if he was a low second round grade, still good value there. But it's not like he's just, you know, they took him because he's the best player available. And even though safety wasn't their top need, it still was a need for them. They signed Marquis Christian. They wanted him to play that third safety role that fell through. So it clearly was going to be a need for them going to the draft. We thought it was going to be later with the guy like Tanner Muse, who went much earlier than we thought he would. Uh, But we thought it was going to be later, but safety was a need for them. And also Marcus May is going to be free agent. Uh, This has nothing to do with Jamal Adams, obviously, uh, because Davis does not play his position, and Adams is most likely going to be locked up. Joe Douglas keeps reiterating that, but Marcus May is going to be free agent. We don't know if they are going to be able to or if they should shell out a lot of money to keep Marcus May uh, with the Jets, even though I do like him. Uh, Quite a bit. I think he's a great compliment to Adams, but you have that coming up. uh, And again, they just, it seemed like they wanted to have Christian to play that third safety role that it is something they want to do defensively this year. So I think overall, they took a best player available talent, but it is a position, even though it's not their greatest need, it's a position that makes a lot of sense for what they're trying to do.
0: Right, it was the best player for the Jets that that exactly, right. felt. It wasn't necessarily. It wasn't just the best player on the board. It was exactly you put it right there. That that Greg Williams clearly wants to run a lot of more three three safety looks. It is an increasing trend in the NFL today, and they felt that Ashton Davis was going to be the perfect guy. I think Davis is going to be playing from day one. And you mentioned it with Marcus May. You know, I agree that I do like Marcus May. He is a little bit older um, than than some other uh, safeties. You know, if Davis impresses, maybe they can move May at the at the trade deadline, get a pick for him. Uh, or they let him go and get the comp pick for him, or they resign him, and then you use Davis as this Swiss Army knife in your secondary, playing him at, at safety, keeping him there for depth, and then you can play him at corner. You can play him all around the field, and, and he's obviously going to be a fun weapon for for Greg Williams. I mean, imagine that last year in this role, Greg Williams is going to have to use Rontez Miles or Matthias Farley or guys like that. Or now he Roberts. A guy, or Daryl Roberts. Now he is a guy that that arguably. Um, could have been a first-round pick, so I I think that you're you're right there. That it encapsul- encapsulates the draft perfectly for Joe Douglas. That he took the best players for the New York Jets, didn't reach, you know, did target needs, but didn't you know reach for needs, uh, and and. Definitely tried to build uh, players that would supplement what the Jets are building, supplement the scheme that they're running, not just taking random players and trying to plug them, uh, trying to draft guys for Adam Gase. I have to say I was thoroughly impressed with with Joe Douglas. He certainly didn't come off like a rookie GM in this draft. Uh, I thought he completely worked the Patriots in that trade. He obviously uh, worked the, the trade in the second round to trade down and still get Denzel Mims. Um, just overall, a really impressive draft. I love Beckton. I love the swing there. I love Mims. I, I thought that was a terrific pick. Uh, Davis. I, I like what he's going to bring uh, to the defense. Zuniga, I thought was, was a nice swing there at the edge position. He could have been drafted higher without the ankle injury. Um, and again, another high character guy. Uh, and then when we got into the fourth round, he took some swings there that, that, that I liked. I thought, you know, P Ryan, he wants him to, to, to be, uh, the, uh, one, two punch with Bell and hopefully, uh, uh, for Douglas, maybe take over as the starting running back in 2021. James Morgan could be the backup for Sam Darnold as the high ceiling. Maybe you flip him for picks. Or he's a guy that, that you're comfortable with uh, if Sam Darnold ever goes down. Um, Cameron Clark, we talked about, was an absolute uh, home run of a pick. We we love that one. And Bryce Hall falling to him. And then, obviously, uh, Braden Mann could be potentially your punter for, for the next long while. And we, we know how important a, a punter is. And then that trade there at the end. So just overall, I think the biggest takeaway is that we the Jets have a competent GM. Um, the jets have a GM who didn't draft like a rookie who was aggressive, uh, but not overly aggressive. You know, he, he, he was aggressive, uh, in, in the things that we wanted them to target when it came to receiver and offensive line early on in the drafts. And then he, he was patient though. He traded down, he added more picks. He didn't rush things. He didn't, you know, he didn't draft to try to fix the jets in all in one year. Cause that's not going to happen. He did draft some instant contributors, but he also drafted, you know, trying to build for the future, build that pipeline as, as you talked about. Um uh, of young talent uh, I really like this Draft class of the Jets uh, just looking at Pure value position filled And the guys that they drafted just based off Scouting reports uh, I would give Douglas An A-minus on this draft the only thing that I, I And again that grade is completely Worthless until we until we see but based off the things I just mentioned um I would give it an A-minus The only reason I don't give it an A uh, would be That I I felt that maybe he should have Attacked receiver again um Just because it was such a such a great receiver Class but again uh you know Uh, Receivers, while they might be flashy and fun to watch Aren't necessarily the most uh, important positions to draft um, Considering that, uh, you know if you have a good quarterback, you can kind of make it work. You want to surround Darnold with talent. Obviously uh, they've done that with Mims and Perriman and Crowder, but this is something that they can continue to build year in and year out. They don't have to get them all in one year. Uh, I'll see. Uh, I'm looking forward to see if he does anything else at that spot, because obviously you want talent for him, but you can't forget that the jets do have Chris Herndon, and Ryan Griffin, at tight end. You can't forget that the jets have Levy Belt running back. Darnold does have some talent around him. Uh, and then, you know, two big swings there with, with uh, signing Prashad Perriman and, and drafting Denzel Mims overall. Uh, quite happy with Joe Douglas's draft. Michael, any last words in this draft or before we wrapped up? Yeah, I think it just comes down to the balance. Uh,
1: what he, The balance he was able to strike in this draft. And just, I go back to that Davis pick again. It's like, you you just see the safety position come up when they pick him. You think, uh, like, it, it's kind of like just, you know, based on like what Mike McCagnum would do sometimes. Like if Davis were the exact same kind of player as Jamal Adams, like then there's a problem with that pick because there's just not really... Uh, A place and just not even considering the whole trade uh, potential of a trade or anything like that. But then that would be kind of going a little bit too much towards BPA because then you're like, okay, this player is the best talent, but he doesn't really work for us. He doesn't uh, he's not going to be able to warrant this draft slot because of the talent that we have, the scheme that we run. Uh, The situation that this roster is in, but he's not that kind of player. He makes sense for what they're trying to do. But at the same time, uh, if you didn't take him and he's by far your best player on the board and you force, you know, say an edge pick or a cornerback pick in that spot uh, of a player who's much further down in talent by your evaluation just because you want to fill that need, you know, then you're leaving a lot of talent on the table and, you know, maybe that guy hits, maybe he doesn't. But over the long run, if you're doing that too much, drafting for need every single pick, you're going to leave a lot of talent on the table and uh, o- over the long run, you're just going to miss on a lot more picks than most other teams are because you're taking players. You're leaving much more talented players on the table just because you're trying to fill needs. But with Davis, I think it just really captures the fact that he's you know, taking everything into account. I'm not just going to you know, pick edge and cornerback and receiver and O-line because those are our top needs. Safety is a need for us as well. So we're going to go there. But, uh, you know, he was one of the best players on the board at that point. So I think that really sums up everything pretty good. That Davis pick, Uh, how Douglas was able to balance, you know, let's get talent. Let's consider need. Let's take both these things and find a happy medium there at every single slot and balance them very well and take the best player based on everything you can take into account scheme fit, how they work with this coaching staff, this roster our strengths and weaknesses, but also we're we are we're not going to be afraid to take a guy who might play at a position that isn't our greatest position of need, but still at the same time, we are going to make sure that, you know, he can work for us. We're not just going to take right. a, an interior defensive lineman or a strong safety uh, or, you know, a tight end one like Chris Herndon. Uh, we're not going to take those positions, but at the same time, we will take a position of lesser need, but still some need uh, if the talent is worth it. So he just bounced everything so right. well. And he did, like you said it best, he did not look like a rookie GM at all. He looked very
0: seasoned uh, in his first draft for the Jets. Yeah, it's a tight line to 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 follow, and, and the best teams do it when they draft. And it's uh, drafting to help your team now. Uh, but to also help your future. And I right, think that's exactly. what Douglas did with that Davis pick. I mean, I, I know we keep harping on it, but it's like that, that you put it perfectly that he fills a need uh, or, and he's at a position of strength of the jets, but he does something entirely different. So the jets can use him this year in that third safety role, and you're going to get some impact from him. And then if may leaves, he can slide into that free safety spot. He just, uh, Brings a lot to your team and if you have a high grade on him and he has the high character uh, I think that was the other thing that Douglas drafting five uh, team captains really tried really talked a lot about bringing in the right guys Bring you know building the culture. This was a ter- terrific first step uh, On paper at least uh, towards doing that. I-, I was really thoroughly impressed with, with Douglas's first draft uh, as the general manager just uh, Overall uh, quite happy he took uh plenty of high ceiling, big swing guys, but also at premium positions, guys like Becton and Mims, uh, I think, you know, have the ceilings uh, to potentially be pro ball players in this league. Um, And they are both that positions that uh, were needs and also premium positions. You know, I'm glad that we don't have to look at a interior defensive lineman. I don't mean to say anything. If, if, if Joe Douglas was drafting in 2018, I don't know if he's taking Quentin Williams there at three. I think he's probably trading back, maybe taking Josh Allen. um, But Clearly,, uh, the Jets have a competent GM and somebody that that I'm really excited to watch build the Jets. even even his uh, you know, undrafted free agent signings and the guys he'll add during roster cuts or any other free agency ads or or you know, minor trades. I'm always, uh, thinking that he's got to steal the deal. I, I really do believe in, in Joe Douglas's player evaluation and the guys he has around him. Uh, this isn't just a completely homer take, too. The guys they drafted are, were very popular in the draft community. They had great uh, things to say about all of these guys, and, and then when we talked about what they do with the with the need and the value. Just overall, a great draft for Douglas. Uh, well, we'll do it again next year. Uh, excited to see what Douglas can do a year from now after having a, more of his fingerprints on the team. I certainly think that, Uh, although it was peculiar and the Jets certainly got dragged for it, the firing of Mike Rick Hagman probably helped Joe Douglas not feel like a rookie in this draft because he had a whole year um, to prepare himself, prepare the scouts, build his system out, um, you know, got to watch the team, really got to know them. uh, And then I think that really helped him in this draft to know exactly what he needed to do. Whereas, if he was to be hired in January, that would have been an absolute mad dash. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Like this, he had a leg up that most first year GMs do not get. He was able to be with this team throughout the whole entire season, get right. acquainted with the scouting uh, department. So that was definitely a, a very positive thing for the Jets. Firing a GM, uh, you know, maybe it would have been better if they fired McCagnon before they did all of that, you know, before they went through the whole offseason. But uh, it's not like firing the GM during the season impacts the team at all. The The players, right. the coaching staff, uh, they were able to get the guy that they wanted, a premier uh, GM target in Douglas, and he was able to get extra time to be able to go into his first uh, not only draft, but entire offseason.
0: Yeah, the Jets just kind of stumbled into a really savvy move by, <laughs> by firing they did. after they did. the draft. I mean, it certainly, as you said, it certainly would have been better to have uh, had, uh, Douglas maybe for last year to build around Darnold, yeah, but I, yeah, I in a, agree in that. a
1: perfect world. You just, you know, don't let McCagnon uh, McKagan run that off season, uh, especially because, you know, Gase was staying around. So it, they, those guys were just not on the same page. So ideally you don't have an off season with the coach and a GM who are not on the same page, but, uh, the decision to fire him afterward, definitely, uh, it's, it's not like they should have, you know, let's just leave him throughout the entire season and then find a GM. The The firearm at that point definitely made all the sense in the world. And I think they are reaping the benefits of that right now.
0: Yeah. And I know it's fun to trash on Gase uh, a little bit. It was nice to see him with his kids. And I will say his son was wearing a Le'Veon Bell jersey. So maybe that dispels all, <sighs> all Gase hatred for Le'Veon Bell rumors. Um but it, it will be nice to one, see his offense with an actual competent offensive line. Uh, and I do uh, think that it, it, it does feel nice for him to have a GM that's actually building towards his scheme and adding players that he actually wants. Uh, he, Gase isn't in charge of the personnel, but he's at least able to say to Douglas, you know, look, these are some of the things that I want. And, and this type of player, these are some of the things I want in this type of player. And Douglas will go out and find him for him. Whereas it, clearly, you know, you didn't have the head coach and the GM in, in lockstep last year, but this year it really seemed like, you know, Gase roll is, faults really one we wouldn't have joe douglas without adam Gase probably uh and two really worked together well with joe douglas i'm excited to see it this next year to see uh to see this team uh, hit the field because i think douglas did a lot uh not only for the team on paper but for the locker room for the culture of this team i'm just excited to keep watching him build this uh really 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 happy with this draft and again as we said you know, it means nothing till we see him on the field, but the early returns are are that we're happy. Uh, you can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or JetsXFactor.com. Uh, great Jets website. Go check it out. Jetsxactor.com. even if you don't want to pay uh for uh you know sports websites or whatever just check it out there's free uh previews and and uh, uh i believe a trials yeah, that you can, you can try get your
1: you yeah fir- your first month free and we're also donating a portion of the subscriptions uh to united way and and in new york city to benefit uh those affected by uh the entire pandemic right now so it is a good time to kind of try it out and also Connor mcgovern likes our t-shirts so yeah he, going.
0: <laughs> i saw that he put it that was your design right
1: yeah,
0: as Michael's own design was on uh, McGovern's uh, Instagram story, and he said that he'll be uh, uh, potentially wearing them. So we're excited about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just a great website. I think it's it's really unique, too. It's not just stories about what happened, uh, you know, with news or whatever, but you full player profiles and, and analytics and film reviews and podcasts and, uh, you know mock drafts and all different types of things. I think if, if you're going to pay for any sort of jets related website, this is obviously the, the one to go with just a lot of great people working on the site. Uh, and even if you don't want to pay, just check it out. Just see, just see the type of content that's going on there. Jetsxfactor.com. That'll do it for us. As we said, we're we're quite happy with Joe Douglas's draft so far. We'll see the other undrafted free agency ads. Um, you know, he did say that he'll dip back into the free agent pool free agency pool after the draft. So we'll see if they add anybody in the next month or so. I believe the schedule should get released uh, in a few weeks too. So there's something to talk about there, but otherwise Michael and I uh, will have some episodes coming out. Uh, You know, we're going to have to get creative here because, you know, uh, we don't know necessarily when the next time the jets will have any sort of um, uh, some, anything going on in the field. uh, You know, whether it be practices or training camp or anything, I know they have their, their program starts on Monday with zoom meetings and whatnot, but (laughs) not much to talk about there. So uh, Michael and I, we're going to do our best to to find some interviews, maybe do some more film reviews. We got a lot of feedback on that Mike DeVito episode. A lot of people like that. Over um, over 1000 views on YouTube and and just a lot of people were were, were into that one. So, uh, try maybe find some from former, maybe current jets to do film reviews, interviews, um, interesting people that we want to talk to. So, we're going to get creative with it. Uh, we really enjoyed doing, uh, th- this draft, uh, coverage, uh, and doing more consistent episodes and getting content out there. Michael and I having a lot of, a lot of fun doing this. It's been a blast. We've gotten a lot more, uh, uh, attention the past few days and listeners, and we, we appreciate all the, the, the new support and new, uh, new subscribers and listeners. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, again, if you want a uh, rate review, subscribe on, on iTunes, it does help our podcast out a lot. Otherwise everybody stay safe, stay healthy. Um, stay indoors, uh, and we're, we're, we're quite happy uh, with where the Jets are right now. Allen back to throw again. Throws one over the middle. It's tipped. And it's
1: intercepted. CJ Mosby's got it. Runs right to the 10.